The following podcast contains uncensored coarse language. Listeners are advised that some of the following content may not be appropriate for those under 15 years of age. Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. For more information, you can visit the Cinema Catch-Up Club's official Facebook page. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Or you can visit our website, thoughtjarproductions.com. This podcast is available on iTunes and SoundCloud, and we would really appreciate your subscriptions there, so pick your service of choice. For more information about this and other podcasts we produce, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com. And now, for this week's episode... Hello everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club podcast, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. A few weeks ago, the actor Burt Reynolds sadly passed away at the age of 82, so we thought that we would mark his passing by watching one of his most famous films. We asked you, the audience, to pick which film you would like to watch, and you have chosen... Deliverance. Joining me to watch Deliverance, we have, as always, someone who has seen the film and somebody who has not. Uh, The person who has seen the film and is providing those uh, delightful banjo noises is Tegan Mulvaney. Hi. How you doing, Tegan? I am peachy keen. Very excited to see this film again and very excited to watch it with my partner and potentially traumatise him for a few hours. Excellent. Uh, traumatized partner in waiting is Mr. Patrick Downs. How Hi. you doing? Yeah, I'm back again. Yeah, we did so. <laughs> We're both I, back hope, again. I hope you I hope your listeners like hearing me because. Well, I mean, have you had any more thoughts on from on from last week our pirates podcast? I think um, I said everything. In it's a great movie. I meant more. I meant more in terms of our conversation of what's the weirdest bird to eat. I no. I stand by the pill. I stand by the penguin. penguin. Yeah. I think Penguin's weird. I, I did have a couple of suggestions uh, from other people who I've asked this question to. Oh, yeah. um, a lot of them seem to feel that parrots would be weird because it could talk back to you. I stand by No, this is what I stand by, and this yeah. is how I'm thinking about it. We're off track already, which is great. Yeah. Um, once the bird has been killed and butchered, how would it look? Mm. And most birds would look like chickens, either bigger or smaller, I, I, I believe. Yeah. Penguin, however, would not. Yeah. It would look like a long, sort of fatty tube. Mm. A kiwi. I still reckon it would look too, too much like a bird. You'd be like, oh, that's yeah. a bird. That's that a- looks like a chicken nugget on legs. So, you know, that's might, true. Yeah, it might be okay. Is it, that's why I made my decision. Yeah, excellent. <clears throat> and now to this week with Deliverance. Um, yeah, so, Patrick, right. you, yeah. you, you've not seen Deliverance. No, no, I don't know. What are you expecting? Um,. Well, I'm expecting some banjos. I do know that there's some. I mean, let's let's call a spade a spade. I do know there's some rape scenes in it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, but other than that, I don't really know much about the movie. I think I know the basic concept, which is a bunch of guys go out and get lost in the woods. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I'm 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 pretty. Uh, pretty vague on this movie. I'll be honest. I'm I am too. I haven't seen Deliverance. Um, right. I only in doing the notes for this, I realised this is the famous Dueling Banjos film. So yeah. um, I think I've seen that. 
Mm. I, have a, I have a memory of seeing like the dueling banjos clip outside of the film itself. Mm, yeah, and it's pretty, pretty famous that clip, particularly you, particularly in this, just the setup of it, um, mm. and the fact that it's a dude and a kid mm. that are, are doing it, like playing these banjos. It's pretty incredible. Mm. Um, I watched this film um, because I through my late teens, early 20s, loved watching controversial films, films mm. that were either banned. Um, I also watched this film because there's only three films that my mum won't ever watch again because they've terrified her more than anything. And mm-hmm. one is Psycho because she saw that when she was about uh, 11 or 12. One is um, Play Misty for Me, which is a, I think it might be a Clint Eastwood film. Mm-hmm. about a stalker right. and this film. Okay. Um, and so I wanted to know why this film was so terrifying. Because um, it's classified as a horror. I mean, if, if you go through it, like it's not seen... I don't know if we would necessarily classify it as a horror nowadays. Mm. It'd be maybe more thriller. I can Ooh. confirm that JB Hi-Fi didn't have it in their horror section when I went to buy it, but that's instinctively where I went first, based mm. on everything I'd heard about it. And that's how it's classified. That's how it was classified back when it was made, and it's how, um, if you look through reviews of it, uh, it's still seen as a classic horror f- film, and mm. it runs through those classic horror tropes, I guess, of you know what you've mentioned about being lost and you know getting away from crazy people and, and that sort of stuff. So. But it's pretty good. Excellent. What films will you never watch again? In in the similar uh, uh, Marmel Vaney rule, where you know you're just not going to watch it again. Is there a particular like film that's done that to you? Uh, not because I'm terrified. I love horror films, mm. so not because I'm terrified. But there's definitely a. Oh yeah, there's <laughs> uh, there's a couple. There is um, Civil War um, <laughs> because it was a load of crap oh, the, I think. The, the, Marvel. The, Avenge, the, the Marvel Civil War mm-hmm. um, I have very strong opinions on that okay. which are very controversial that it was a load of crap is that what it, I'm mainly it was a load of crap I mean that's sort of your main opinion of it that's my main opinion yeah. there I, that I kind can, of encapsulates all the other opinions this is an entirely other entire okay. other podcast there is also an entirely other, a new other podcast in La La Land which I think right. is a load of crap as well horrifying for different reasons and the third film um, because I have a very vivid memory of having almost a panic attack in the cinema of when we were watching it was Peter Jackson's King Kong <laughs> because it was so long. It was so so you know like the originals what like what like eighty minutes or something. It's, it's pretty it's, tight. You know for the time it's mm. just normal timed film and I remember being two and a half hours into the film and going oh my god. They're not off the island yet. They still have to get to New York, and this fucker has to climb. Sorry, what is one? It's an R rating. <laughs> oh, that's good. This fucking gorilla still has to climb the Empire State Building and mess the entire of New York up. And we're two and a half hours into this film, hmm. into our second chase with dinosaurs, because there's dinosaurs in that one, like hmm. twice. And it, um, I, I just remember like freaking out completely. Um, so I will never watch that one again either. Patrick, any films you wouldn't watch again for the reasons of horror or oh, sheer I, You chagrin? don't like horror films. No, do I don't you? like horror movies. They scare me. I made you watch I it. I mean, like, but not in like the good way. Not in like the people go, ooh, I, I'm so scared. That's great. I'm like, oh, no, this isn't. Hmm. 
So this one should be okay because it's old. I tend to be okay with older ones. Mm. Um, movies I wouldn't watch. I mean, aside from like just shitty movies I don't like, mm. I always get, not that it's on very much, mm. but whenever the Casper movie comes on, <laughs> I get a little bit nervous because my grandparents took me to see that at the cinema and I had to go out mm. when they do that, that um, takeoff of Poltergeist where he's pulling his face off in oh, the yeah. mirror. And it's like a scary face underneath it. Yeah. And again, I only know that from Poltergeist from Knox. I've seen Poltergeist just through cultural osmosis. I've picked that up. Yeah. So they, they do a rip off of that scene. Well, rip off homage, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> of that scene in the Casper movie. Mm. So I always get a little bit nervous when that comes on. Cause I'm like, I don't really want to watch that again. Mm. <laughs> I'm 30 years old, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> now that's fair. So, <laughs> Sometimes Casper is not a friendly ghost. That no, is- and he's not. It, that movie's kind of creepy. Go back and watch it again. It, it's kind of mm. creepy. And I was pretty young. We have not talked at all, really, about this film in this whole... Well, this isn't the bit to talk about the film. No. no. All we know is that, you know, there's there's banjos and uh, scary activities. That... And we're allowed to say fuck in this one. Yes, because the film is R-rated. Uh, the language in the review may also be R-rated. <laughs> Resignation in your life. Yes. <laughs> look, look, it's a rule I made, and I think it's fair that we be able to use R-rated language for R-rated films. Fuck but, yeah. But, you know... Let's let's all be responsible adults. Let's not act like a bunch of fuckheads. Uh, so, <laughs> Fucko. Um, thank you for downloading. And if you are ready, pop in your DVDs and uh, get into your canoes as we prepare to watch <laughs> Deliverance. Etc. Hello, everybody. Stephen Platt here. Just letting you know about another production that is coming up from the folks at Thought Jar Productions. It's a science fiction radio play series called Atlantis. It's currently being staged in Perth, Western Australia, and if you happen to live in the area or are very keen and want to fly in, you can come and see live science fiction radio play theatre happening before your very eyes. If you are unable to make it to Perth any time between now and October the 4th when the final show is staged, you can listen in online for absolutely free. Just head to atlantisradioplay.com, click listen online, and you can hear the episodes as they are coming out. There's also an attached survey, which is part of some PhD research of mine into science fiction theatre, which you can choose whether or not you would like to fill out. For more information, please visit our website, atlantisradioplay.com, or like our Facebook page, just search for Thought Jar Productions. Keep listening to the end of this episode, and you'll hear a little snippet from episode one of Atlantis, just to see if it's your sort of thing. And now, back to the Cinema Catch-Up Club. And welcome back, everybody. We have just finished watching Deliverance. Woo-hoo! And by we, I of course mean my special guests, Tegan and Patrick. Hi. How's everyone feeling? <laughs> I we... feel great. <laughs> Sorry, I'm eating. We started before I thought we were going to start. And so. you're, you're eating the worst thing. I'm eating to... chewy toffee, so yeah. <laughs> just bear with me for a few minutes. <laughs> so Deliverance, uh, we'll start with you, Tegan. Okay. Um, it was your first time watching this since how, how long ago? Uh, a few years ago. Um. It's funny, yeah, I remembered, I had a, a lot of memories of the events on the river and no memory of 
what happens after the river. You were like Burt Reynolds in the hospital bed going, what happened? I don't remember what happened. Winks. Wink, wink. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was cool because, yeah, I, I actually thought that it ended with old mate's dislocated arm. I thought that was the, you know, oh, like they, where they get to the end of the river yeah. and then they find old mate with his arm twisted around the back of his head. But um, that's not the ending. That's the rest of, there's more of it. There is more, yeah. Because, um, yeah, I mean, we they, they find Drew, obviously, with his arm all the way around his head. And mm. the ending kind of, I, for, as a first-time viewer for me, uh, I don't know if you agree with this, Patrick, it, it sort of almost snuck up on me a bit. Mm. The ending? Yeah. As in... How do you mean? I thought they were going to be stuck in the river for a bit longer. Like the, I suppose the the, mm-hmm. the the end of the story, basically from when they get out of the river, I felt as though there was like one additional horror to come. Mm. Right. Okay. And okay. yeah, no, yeah. I, I think for me, I, I that was sort of I was sort of expecting that last bit where he scales the cliff face and shoots the guy with the arrow was kind of the climax. Right. So I found that having that extra little bit and so watching it kind of feeling like I was watching that bit for the first time because I don't, didn't really have any memory of that bit mm. changed the intent of the film for me um, where and that's maybe because it's based on a novel mm. maybe that's you know was the intent where you it then became more about it came back around to being more about the characters yeah. And their personas and, and their personalities instead of just this horrific event that's happened on the river. It's how each one of those um, individuals have reacted to the part that they played in that horrific event on yeah. the river. Because mm. um, you know how sometimes when you have a film like that where it feels like it has this climactic ending and then all of a sudden there's the next bit, you know, and, it, mm. and then it kind of has a bit of a fizzle out at the end sometimes that can be a little bit um disappointing Mm. i didn't find it disappointing in this i found it actually it made me uh more intrigued by the purpose of the film yeah it didn't so much fizzle as kind of like continue to simmer yeah it was like you had the Mm. the the high intensity like just surviving yeah the, the the river but then you had the fact that it, it was that question of the law which Drew was bringing up um, mm, yeah. after they they kill that first guy, of saying you know it's the law. Uh, you know that it boils down to that principal argument between the characters of Drew and and Lewis, where you've got Drew saying we've killed a guy, we need to own up to this, and you've got Lewis going, "Where's the law, Drew? Yeah. Where's the law? We're out here. You know, it, it's 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 chaos. It, or, yeah. or, or to be honest, it's a game." But even, yeah. uh, I guess, you know, 72, it's mm. the, the law was all, you know, it was a debatable thing in many areas of, just, you know, of America at that time anyway. Right. So to, I, I don't know if that's something that, if, that they were thinking of with regards to this as well as, you know, you've got the law in so many different settings so mm. let's put it in this tiny you know the law is a kind of is a perspective really as much as we can set laws and abide by laws like when he says it's a democracy it's yeah. like 
well, yeah, if you're going to live by democracy, well, that's three to one. So mm. you have to live with it because that's the law that we're creating at that moment that yeah. you have to abide by. Mm. Patrick, this was your first time watching this yeah. film. Um, how, how are you feeling now that it's finished? Because, I mean, I'm obviously watched it for the first yeah. time as well. I'm just curious, how, how do you feel that now that the credits have rolled and we've gotten through the, the 20 DVD war- uh, warnings in different languages? <laughs> <laughs> um. I feel look it's, it was definitely a, a ride. Mm. Um, I think I think it, it it's aged in the way that I don't feel like traumatized by it, like people would were mm. apparently you know in the seventies. Um, so you know I've I've seen worse things yeah on screen. Um, but having said that, you know, it's left me very ponderous. You know, you say we're talking about law, we're talking about... I think the film has a very clear theme of um, escaping. So mm. not just escaping from danger, but then also escaping from the law and yeah. also from things you've done mm. and how you're never quite free. Yeah. I mean... You know, you're, the- either, you're either in the wilderness and you're running away or mm. you're in society and you're still kind of... Yeah. controlled but you know but also, there's, there's that weird dichotomy there that i can't quite put my finger on but there, and also yeah. the fact that they're four married men like they're, they're yeah. and that this is an escape from their life like this big adventure because there's a right at the start when john voigt goes why don't we just go golfing you know yeah. it's like because there's an they're clearly led by burt reynolds character obviously mm. where he's obviously the one that they really revere but there is that desire to be free mm. from that world as well mm. and that kind of idea of like of like real like masculinity real yeah. manly yeah. men um and then the manly men that you see are rapists and pretty much yeah, yeah. and uh, these horrible mountain goblins um, yeah because and, they kind of have to be mm. Because that's how they have to survive. Because survival is being ruthless and cutthroat, yeah. and establishing dominance over weaker things, which is the raping part. Mm. So, and most of the most of them because are not cut out for it. No, most of our four characters aren't cut out for it. Because John Voight can't even kill a deer to yeah. feed himself. You know. Yeah, and there's the two like it's what you're saying when they have to show dominance as well. Like, because there's a lot of um, I mean, uh, uh, the alluding to the inbred nature of these families is quite interesting because it's never really said no but then there's a lot of children with deformities that they Mm. that they have is when he looks john voight looks in the window and there's the child there and then there's the 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 banjo kid you know there's obviously there's allusions to Mm. this sort of other world Mm. backwards uh, redneck for want of a better term sort of idea yeah but there's also that idea when when they are when they are sexually assaulting um the cat what's the character uh, bobby. bobby bobby they they call him a woman they yeah. start with they grab at his at his chest as if he's got breasts and then it's the pig thing as well mm. it's really interesting that it becomes so animalistic yeah um and really weirdly brutal. Again, it's mm. that it's I, I, I love films from this sort of era. There's that there's that the kind of 
a 10 year period like from 65 to maybe the seven mid mid to coming into the late 70s where they the way they time their films and the way they use their characters and build their suspense is so so interesting and i think that scene is just represents so much of that kind of yeah it's it's incredibly well shot the the um beautifully well shot well the squeal like a pig scene um yeah and like because there is a long shot from when they have like first taken hostage on the riverbank which goes all the way to ed john voigt's character being tied to the tree with his own belt Mm. and there's a lot of you know bits of branches and foliage getting in the way but doesn't ever detract from the focus of what the scene is and makes you feel as though you are you are there it's the same thing you were saying while we were watching it with the sound the fact that you only really hear characters when they're close to the camera partly because of the practicality of shooting on location the way they were um but it made it feel as an audience member as though you were right there in in the in the action well, that's i had a thought as well that they i I wonder. They feel. I feel like they've shot from that. Uh, they've made a choice to shoot only what one of the other characters will see would see at any one time. Like, mm. um, like, like peep show. Like a really graphic peep show. <laughs> kind, kind of. So obviously, they, there's, there's uh, allowances made in that. Where you know, because you have long shots of them walking up, walking through the forest and things like that. But there's nothing from the perspective of any other character other than the four leads in it. Mm. Um, So when the police pull up at the end, you see it from those two. There's there's always someone present from that four for any bit of information that you get. Mm. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Because it, it... it, then it does make that really, con- you know, when um, when Drew does, you know, fall in the water and they think he's been shot, it makes you go, shit, well, was he shot or was he, you know, yeah. did he fall in the water? Is it, What have I missed? Like, mm. um, because you're only seeing what they're seeing. So it's not until the end when they realise there's no bullet wound on him that they go, Uh-oh. oh, my God, no, he's just done this to himself. Yeah. Like it. It's it's really integral to the world building for this for this film. Mm. Patrick, yeah. um, as a first time viewer, mm-hmm. what did you think of the dueling banjos? Because it's it's arguably the most iconic thing from this film. Sure, and it's right at the start. Yeah, yeah. I think that was what what was surprising is that it was right at the beginning. Um, it's obviously because it's such an important cultural thing from you know from the film. It's like you were ex- expecting it to happen at a more climactic moment mm. but because it happens right at the start it's actually quite cool i think it does set up the well first of all it sets up drew as a somewhat more sympathetic yeah character and secondly it sets up the strangeness and the unknown mm. that they're about to enter you know with the way the boy's acting and mm. all that stuff but it's very cool like it's a brilliant little piece of music mm. yeah it's, um, yeah it's lovely um the, the way it's put together, it builds to a nice pace. Yeah, yeah. You've got the gas station attendant doing his dance. Yeah, like it's, I love yeah. that. Yeah. The whole start, though, like, again, we talked about this on another film. Might have been gra- The Graduate. Might have been one of the other ones where mm. I think it took 10 minutes to get into the story where they 
we knew that there was a lake being built, that the town wasn't going to exist, that um, they were mates uh, and that this was an adventure they wanted to go on. So clearly they're, so, they're stereotypical characters. Like, mm. you know, it's like watching Stand By Me with 40-year-old men yeah. where, they, you know, where there's this tough, sensitive nerd and... Fat. Fat, yeah. <laughs> basically. But it's, again, this is where I think that when it extends out into that, that last bit of the film where you see how trauma... And I don't know whether the this is what the writer who originally, you know, when he wrote the novel and mm. wrote the this screenplay wanted to do, but you just see how it impacts people so differently. Like Bobby gets raped, mm. and yet R- Bobby is the one who is <laughs> he was the one at the end sitting there at the dinner table, kind of laughing along with everyone and get, you know, just because he just wants to forget about it, mm. wants to forget about what happened. Um, yeah, I think there's possibly, like just specifically on the comparison between Bobby and Ed, is that Bobby's traumatic experience happened to him from external factors, mm. whereas Ed had both that and the fact that he then, his main traumatic experience, which was killing the guy on the mountain range, yeah, was him shooting that guy with an arrow. And, and then, not knowing if it was the right guy. And then, then yeah. yeah, and then also the guilt that comes with the fact that he's not sure if he actually killed the right guy who's missing teeth. Yeah. So. But there's also yeah. the, um, but then his, tr- you know, and that's why I, I know it's a, you know, it's a very stereotypical film trope, but then the nightmare at the end, I think that is, because I think that's a very relatable thing for someone who has seen, who has been through those sort of trauma. Mm. I, I think about, when it's going to hit Bobby, <laughs> what happened? Because yeah. he's also, he does he all of, he also can't do anything. So as the film goes on, he is not strong enough to climb the mountain to find the guy. He's mm. not, he's not strong enough emotionally to do anything other than just want to forget. Mm. Um, when you see Drew and then you, when Drew, that scene where they're burying the dead body and you can hear him and he's manic when he's doing it. I f- yeah. they find that so incredible mm. because then that gives you the justification for him making that decision to not put on his life jacket, life jacket and not because, and, and then essentially die mm. whether his choice was to die at that point or just to punish himself, you know, like it's, it's all such believable. It's so believable, all of their yeah. responses to it. Mm. Um, and just so, and then, and, and then, you know, the, the toughest guy, Burt Reynolds, it, it becomes kind of unimportant how mm. it impacts him. Yeah, it's almost as though he, um, I, I feel as though he, he's almost, he shows a way of living to Ed. I think Ed is kind of the main character of the four. Yeah. Yeah. In that Ed is very much like the others. He's like um, Bobby and he's like um, Drew. Yeah. And he, out of the three of them, chooses to be a survivor in the same sense that that Lewis already is. Yeah. Mm. We see Bobby just choosing to ignore that. And we see that, as you say, Drew can't cope with that guilt. Yeah. Um, And it is a fascinating way of seeing those studies and i think the fact that ed 
chooses to become like Lewis is quite interesting, particularly when you um, have the, the fact that, you know, of the four, you've got the very sort of like peak physical condition, Burt Reynolds. You have Ed, who's, you know, John Voight, and, uh, you know, he wasn't wasn't too bad. Banging. Bit of a, as to you, borrow your phrase, a bit of a basement flutter. A little bit <laughs> of a basement flutter. Um, and then the, you, the you've got Drew, who's kind of like this sort of skinny, nerdy-looking dude mm. with the glasses. And then um, Bobby, who's a, you know, li- little... He's just an average guy. guy. He's yeah. just an average-looking guy. Like yeah. He- yeah, but when you know when you put him in the same boat as Burt Reynolds, oh, he's, yeah. he's, he's not in the same boat he's, as he, Burt Reynolds. Yeah, he's the fat guy in that group. Yeah. In that group, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's the Jerry O'Connell to make a stand by me reference yeah. To, yeah. to that group. But at Do, the end, sorry, I just want to be, because I I think there's so much in that part of the end then where uh, Ed stops the lying mm. when the sheriff asks why were there only three life jackets why were there four four life jackets and bobby wants to continue the lie Mm. and ed says he wasn't wearing it i find that choice to put that in the script and the way they've said it so yeah yeah interesting again you could pull apart many many parts of this sort of film Mm. but that that choice then to just give up the lying yeah, and it's very powerful the way it's delivered. Like John Voight, I mean, I know he's seen a little bit as a bit of a joke these days, and but in some circles, um, he's very good in this. Yeah. Like it's a oh, great, yeah. it's a yeah. great performance. He's one of again loving these yeah. films. My one of my favorite films is Midnight Cowboy, and in this and in in that, he he is incredible. Mm. He is such a good actor, and the power that Ed has in that scene when he's just staring down the sheriff. Yeah. And just saying that truth, yeah, I think is almost what allows them to get away with it. Because yeah, because the they know. Yeah, the sheriff's like, look, just don't come here again. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's like I'd like this town to die. He even says, don't, don't do anything, don't pull anything like this. Whatever he said it, but yeah. you basically, yeah. basically, I know what you did. Yeah. Don't do it again. Yeah. I can't prove you did it. And the town is dying back. anyway. The mm. town yeah. is gone. We all have to go because you're going to flood it. Mm. They're going to flood the basement. Yeah, <laughs> I was just thinking that. <laughs> That's the problem. You put Burt Reynolds and, and John Voight there. And they were all both, the basements get flooded. Yeah, both super sexy. And yeah, <laughs> that was the problem. This is the Burt Reynolds uh, memorial e- edition of the podcast. That's, yes. that's why we're doing Deliverance. Yeah. Um, my experience with Burt Reynolds prior to this film is actually quite minimal. Um, the, the main thing I know him from is he was the voice of Avery Carrington from Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, don't, I don't know if either of you played that one. Um, no, not that one. It was, it was a, yeah, so it was a PlayStation 2 game from 2002, and Avery Carrington is one of, like, your first, like, bosses that you meet in the yeah. game, who's, like, this um, Texan cowboy hat-wearing um, shady real estate developer, and he's like, my name's Avery Carrington, and I'm here. It's like really so cool. Texan, but it was Burt Reynolds because this was this particular game had like a big all star cast, and Burt Reynolds was one of the actors they got in, and that's really my only connection with him. Um, yeah. That and playing Boss Hogg in 2005's Dukes of Hazard film. <laughs> that, and but yeah, because I I haven't seen Smokey and the Bandit, um, and I haven't seen um, the the Gigolo one. Um, Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights. Nice. That's the one I've seen. I've just pulled up his. Um, 186 credit IMDb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, there's a lot of stuff in here I obviously haven't seen. Is it um, um, uh, Smokey and the Bandit? Is that with Sally Field? 
There's. I'll know when I get to it. There is. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's that one. Mm. Because that has him. Him and, there's a film with him and Sally Field. I'm sure it's that one. And if you look on YouTube, it, there's just hilarious outtakes mm. of the both of them in the film. So that's my knowledge of Burt Reynolds plus mm. Boogie Nights. Plus, um, because he was going to be in Tarantino's latest film. That's right. The who my friend is playing Charles Manson in that film. Oh, really? Who, yeah. Who is your friend? His name is Damon Herriman. He's okay. my sister's bestie, but um, I have known him enough now to uh, also be call call him friend. <laughs> All dogs go to heaven as well. Oh, of course. Oh, of That's course right. he was. Yeah. Yes. yes. Um, excellent. Okay, just making a note. Future podcast guest. Yeah, he um actor who plays. He Charles just Manson. got cast as yeah. He was obviously for a while, but he it was announced a couple of weeks ago that he will be in that film with an incredible cast of people. Mm. Yeah, and obviously Bert was going to be one of them, but he was sadly yeah. passed away. He had. I was reading when when he passed away. He had this um. He was saying how being an older actor now, he actually is. And maybe because he started in the theatre, like you were saying Mm. before, he had a, he gets really excited about the roles he would be getting as he got older Mm. because there was more to them. Yeah. He he was, um, and it was, there was less roles available to him, but the ones he would get, the more he would respond to and Mm. enjoy playing. Mm. So... I'm, it's kind of sad that he didn't get to do to do the Tarantino one. Yeah, yeah. one just one more because he that was a it was a quite a recent quote of his, which I thought was really beautiful. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know he was still working. You look at his credits as as Patrick just did, and he was working up until this up, year. Up yeah. until this yeah. year, there's there's still uh, a couple of things which have to come out with him in it. Yeah. So, um, but specifically within Deliverance, though, Patrick, um, yep. how how did you feel uh, Birdie did? How how did you think he was? Oh, I think he was great. Um, one thing I was going to ask is, is I might, might have missed it, but do we get a sense of kind of, we also get a sense of who they are as characters, but do we get an idea of their backstory at any point? Because I kind of wanted to know why he's such a, because he had a jacket on that said, that had like a survival thing on it as well. So it's like you get the idea that he's, an adventurous some kind of, of yeah he's either some kind of SAS or well, not SAS in America but you know yeah. um either some kind of army guy or he's a yeah, or he's a professional survivalist or something well um it's, i got i thought it was more that survivalist sort of idea like just with yeah. ha- with the archer because it was archery he wasn't carrying guns or yeah, anything yeah, like yeah, that yeah. he was yeah, carrying he didn't have any guns or anything no no that's what i got the imp- yeah, okay. the impression i could be wrong though well, the, the the film only details one of them, uh, and I think it's that Drew works in insurance. Mm. Yeah, and you know, there he says the line. You know, I've never, I don't get insurance. I don't need it. You know, life's a risk or whatever, whatever yeah. it is he yeah. says. Um, I think their jobs are all detailed in the book that right. this film is based on, and I think they are all people who work in Atlanta. They're all like people who work in in the city or in in that area. Yeah, but two of them. Um, being Lewis and I guess Ed are guys who have more experience in the rural community. Right. Um, So like, like Lewis is clearly like the very handy one um, who, who does this sort of thing all the time. Mm. Um, And the others that get brought along are there 
to sort of like experience getting out into the wilderness. Yeah. I think maybe they've altered it in this film so it's mostly Lewis who's in that role of being yeah, the, the sure. experienced, um, I, I guess, wildlife explorer type. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think that, and yeah. I think that's relatable even to. No, it is. It is. I'm just, I'm just curious because like there was a part of me that was wondering, kind of why he was in charge, but just beside the fact he knew what he was doing. And why they trusted him yeah, so much. There's yeah, a I lot wanted of to know a little him. bit more about why yeah. Why he was kind of the leader, aside from the fact he obviously had the skills. Like, where to get those skills from? Why are the others not so skilled? Mm. It's not something... It's not necessary, I guess. But, um, yeah, it was just something I wanted... I wanted just a little bit more about kind of who they were mm. coming into this, into this wilderness. Um, Might have been back. a bit more in that... Because it was hard to keep up at the start with all of the, you know, where they were showing the lake being started and, the, and stuff. Talking over, they were doing all over that talking. dubbed stuff, yeah. But going back to the question of, of how did he do, I think he did amazing. I mean, there's no, they all did a great job. There's no leak, leak winks. Leak winks or weak links in this cast. Um, uh, I think everyone is, is, does an incredible job. But yeah, he's, um, he's pretty special in this movie. We were talking about his physical appearance and prowess mm. and how he's... Um, He's obviously a very attractive man, but he's also, as a guy, you kind of look at that and go, yeah, I, I want to look like that. That's yeah, who I want to be. I want to be, be the, I want to be the muscle guy who goes yeah. out on the river and knows how to hunt fish with a bow and arrow. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Very hyper-masculine, but like capable. And that's what, I think that's something that, um, that is, that's great in these old, in seven movies from the 70s and not so much the 80s. The 80s, you get more the... Schwarzenegger, yeah, the hyper-masculine. Movies from the 70s that you get these really capable masculine men. Mm. And it's like... He also talks about, when they talk about the river, he never talks... He is the one that says, you don't beat the river. Yeah, Mm. yeah. So he... he, There is clearly yet a a history in in his life of him living... Living that world, yeah, living out in yep. the, and and loving it, and then sharing that, ex- needing people to share that experience with. So he's yeah. doing that with his yeah. mates. Mm-hmm. And I think speaking about Burt Reynolds in general, like that's kind of the vibe he always gave off. Mm-hmm. He's this very cool, calm, collected, capable man. But yeah, I think I think that's very much the, the vibe he gives off in general, gave off in general. But something in this movie, I think it's very front and center. That's like this is a this is a cool dude. That mm. um. And then he's playing against John Voight. Yeah. Who is, but plays this very sensitive character who then has to step up. Yeah. It's so believable. And so go, he's not two-dimensional either, I think I should say no. that. Yes. Making yeah. him sound quite two-dimensional, but he's not. He gives this character, especially after he gets hurt mm. and his weakness starts to come through. Like he's not infallible. Like he, mm. or invulnerable, and he I has to hand over the exactly. reins Exactly, he has to give well. control over to... Yeah. Um, to Ed and Bobby. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. he's gonna. He knows he's gonna die. Yeah, yeah. It it is pretty a pretty great layered performance, and um, yeah, I I I think Burt Reynolds just in general is one of those performers that you knew the name, and even mm. though collectively we've probably not seen a great deal of his of his work, no. he just feels like. Oh, Burt Reynolds. Like, yeah, everyone knows Burt Reynolds. Yeah. He's Smokey from Smokey and the Bandit. He seems like a cool dude. Yeah. And all the stuff that has, has come out subsequent to his passing has been mostly people going, he was pretty all right. And, mm. you know, it, it is, yeah. you know, it is sad to lose him. He was 82, you know, it's not as though he was young. But bad innings, yeah. Yeah. You know, he's, I, think he, I think he had a very nice life and um, 
if your only regret is doing a centerfold that may have cost you an Oscar when he did his nude centerfold, um, <laughs> I think you've lived a pretty good Why life. Why does he think that cost him an Oscar? I think it's because it was considered a bit risque. Oh. You... Because the committee on the Oscars, oh, so, they've yeah. always been just nanas. Yeah, and considering that well, these... Well, if they were nanas, they probably Ooh. would have been. Oh, they... hello. Mm. Yeah, maybe they were thinking that's not the sort of thing an Oscar winner should be doing. I guess. Uh, you know, unlike, I mean, even though, he was, co- even like, though he, was co- he was covering yeah. Little Bert in that, mm. in that centerfold, he's got he his was. hand over... He was, but you know, you need good, reputable people to be winning Oscars, like Casey Affleck. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> would you guys like some trivia about yeah. Deliverance? Trivia time. Yeah. One day we will have a musical sting, but it is not. Can it just be all the various stings that I've made up? I've made up some too. Oh, there you go. I will just layer everyone's stings across the series. Can it just be IMDb trivia troll? Okay, well, to minimise the costs... <laughs> to minimise costs, the production wasn't insured. Um, oh, there you go. They don't believe in insurance. Yeah. 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 Hey, I, I bet, wonder if... Was that an in-joke? Um, possibly. Um, but yeah, yeah basically, the, none of the actors were insured. Um, John Voigt really climbed that cliff. Those guys really canoed down those rapids. When Ronnie Cox has his arm Bobby, behind yeah. his head, that that's him actually doing that. And you were saying, Tegan, that when he did that, he actually really hurt his arm. He really did. He yeah. had to have, like, surgery? He he just wrecked his arm cause, because they did it for so long. And when you watch the... Like, again, I, I, I only remembered it as a scene... Where a long, like a, a long shot mm. with him with his arm over his head. I forgot that then they find him, then they pick him up, then they put him in the boat, then they pick him up again and they put him in the water. There's about five or six different shots of him with his dislocated in arm behind his head. Freezing cold water. Yeah. He, yeah, he, and I think what had happened was he'd. The director, because they they wanted him to be dead, but they they didn't know how to make it look gruesome enough, because he needed to look like he was dead. But he couldn't look like anything had been a gunshot or anything like that. So yeah. he looked he'd been mangled by the rocks. That's and the rapids, right. Yeah. yeah, but then uh, budgets and all that sort of stuff. So mm. and make how do you make that sort of stuff happen when you're in running water? Like it'd be you couldn't have blood or no or, mm. sin, or you know or latex or anything. So they um. So he said to the director, well, I can do this, and he's double-jointed, so he did that thing where he pulls his shoulder out. Mm. And then he he just couldn't put it back in. Mm. It, it, he's had permanent damage since since then, so I mm. think he's had multiple surgeries on it over the years. Mm. Um, but God, it looks good. I mean, it, yeah, <laughs> it's it very, it's pretty yeah. effective. It's so shot. effective. It's yeah. pretty intense. Yeah. But and oh my god, like this guy's fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. He's it, and like, I don't know. I'm presuming that the bruising around it was was makeup. But considering how long he was holding it there for, could have been real. Could have yeah. been real. Yeah, uh, Burt Reynolds broke his coccyx, uh, better known as his tailbone, um, butt bone, his butt bone, when he was going down the rapids uh, when the canoe capsized. Originally, a cloth dummy was used, but it looked too fake when with the dummy going down the waterfall. Um, when Reynolds recovered, he asked, how did it look? And the director, John Borman, said, it looked like a dummy going down a waterfall. <laughs> so, 
But there's a scene where he's rolling down those rocks. Yeah. And there is a distinct thunk and this and an ah, just genuine pain on his face. Mm. So whether that was when he broke it or it was because he was still having to shoot those scenes with a broken coccyx. Yeah. Like, Mm. it's intense. Some of that stuff he just. Oh man! Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Much of the film had to have its colour desaturated because apparently the river looked too pretty. And oh, it, yeah. It yeah. was a pretty gorgeous yeah. looking yeah, place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I can see them going, mm, this almost feels like they're having too much of a nice time to an extent. We, we need to, to make this yeah, scarier. Yeah, drain yeah. that colour. Um, and uh, can I, I hadn't watched it on HD before, I don't think. Because um, I think the Blu-ray, the, the, video, the DVD I watched was, I might have even watched it on VHS. It was a while, you know, mm. just finding it. It's incredible mm. in high, high definition. Yeah, it, it is very well shot. It's beautifully yeah, it's well shot, film. and in, in, in HD, it holds up in HD. You know, some we've, again we've talked about this in other films. In when we did Moonraker, how it was you in, mean in HD, and yeah, Moonraker, it was not great to watch in HD. It no, needed that. No. It needed that fuzz look. Yeah, yeah. this was beautiful in because HD. I think I think because it's such a gritty film, you mm. needed to see every bead of sweat and every wrinkle, and that helped as well. And the blood and the and gore. The, yeah, absolutely. The gore that they, I mean, there's not a lot, but that arrow going. There's not a lot, but it's. I feel like that's kind of realistic. Yeah. Like, I feel like there wouldn't be if you shot someone with an arrow. It probably wouldn't be that gory. And they need, and like, again, it it just set the scene for the how traumatic that was for them all to see. Like, yeah. it took him. That was, a, I reckon, a good sixty to ninety seconds of to just die. watching that man die. Yeah, and even when he lands on the tree, his hands are still twitching. Yeah, and he's upright as yeah. well. He's not even on the ground. His eyes are still open. They haven't shut his eyes. They don't mm. do any of the. Oh yeah. my god! It is just. It's very effective. Incredible. Yeah. 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 They, they, they did a cracking job with that. And I think that is part of the reason why it, it's a film that holds up. Mm. You know, it, yeah. it does feel as though this was, this could have been shot 25 years ago yeah. instead of 45 or yeah. 46. God, the only real thing that I think, you know, and we commented on it, is that towards the very end when John Boyd's waiting on the cliff for the, for the stalker, mm. there's that very weird little bit of bleeding because it looked like it was a day for night shot. Yeah. And there's a little bit of bleeding coming in from the sky. Mm. And it looked a little weird. Mm. But that's the only, like, thing I noticed that, that looked out of date. Yeah, yeah like they've had to resaturate it. Yeah, they've had to fiddle to... With, the, with the film to yeah. make it look right. But... but other than that, it is very well done. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It's very well shot. Yeah. Uh, according to the director, John Borman, the gas station attendant uh, who did the dance during the dueling banjos um, just did that spontaneously. That wasn't scripted. That's, cool. That's mm. cool. So, yeah, just a happy dance yeah, it indeed. works beautifully. Yeah. One thing I also really like, we didn't really talk about it when we were chatting in the main, but at the start there, where they're being so dismissive and actually really teasing mm. of, the, of the people who live in the mountains, like, again, it's a, it's a really nice setup and it sets that, I, I think it, it supports what I was saying before about kind of being independent and self um Surviving off the land, kind of thing, you know, and how soft. I don't like saying the word soft, but you know, like how how incapable they really are. Yeah. But they still look down on people that live like that. people that live like that. Yeah. But and I'd again, love... it's like, but but, you, but again, they they can do it, and mm. they can dominate you every step of the way. You know? That's it. And I'd love to, and because like I'd love to know because that's you know we're 
we see that in so many horror films now. Yeah. Any horror film that's out in the sticks, you know, in a cabin in the woods. Yeah, like, I mean, that's how Cabin in the Woods starts. Exactly. Yeah. But, like, where does this sit in that? Because you would have had The Hills Have Eyes, Last House on the Left, um, uh, so many. Mm. One main one I'm thinking of is The Hills Have Eyes, which yeah. is... Um, is that the and the, the West Craven had made one mm. as well? It, it does feel as though that this was the progenitor to to mm. a lot of films making this decision to go. Oh, you can't, you know, being out in the the deep south is dangerous uh, because there's these these hill people yeah. who are doing mm. all sorts. I feel like they feel like they then they went more. Not that I've seen them because I'm a big scaredy cat, yeah. but they went more in the horror direction. Yeah, than this film did. Like I feel like even though it's technically classified as a horror mm. I still think even when they were making it they probably thought of it as more of a thriller mm. I mean part of the thing and, a, that and makes... an adventure film really in a yeah. way sort of th- more than a horror mm. you know part of the thing that makes this quite realistic um, is the fact that local residents were cast to yeah. play the hill yeah. people um, well they and they ha- they the children the the Disabled children in those scenes and things, mm. like, and they're not treated with any those part. They're not treated with any disrespect. Those people because the people at the start still brought the cars to where they needed them. Yeah. So everyone did as they wanted to. Those people they met at the start that they were treating like crap. Mm. Um, I'm just having a look because Straw Dogs was made the year before. Right. And that is. So it's clearly something that was sort of in the minds of a few people um, who yeah. were who were t- making these sorts of films. Well, that's a Sam Peckinpah film, so that was made in. That was more of a British take on right. on that. But it just reminded me of that again as well, of like being mm. stuck around these things. But uh, yeah, you're right with the that the people they meet at the start. They're not the. They're not the they're dangerous not the pro- ones. They're not the dangerous ones. The yeah. dangerous people are. They just happen to meet along the way. Yeah, even though they are. They do mention that they're related somewhere. Possibly related. They're like brother-in-law the, or something. Well, it's when he's talking about, um, I think it's when Lewis is talking about the fact that if they reveal they've killed someone to the place, mm. then the jury will, because of the inbred nature yeah, that they believe yeah. this culture has, that the jury will almost certainly have, like his uncle or his aunt or his ma and yeah, his pa. Yeah. But, but then maybe that's not true. Maybe that's Well, just that's what I think the film's it. trying to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because they don't know if that guy they killed was... The other guy, because hmm. yeah. the brother-in-law was out hunting. It could have been the third guy. I uh, know he had the false, last guy because this is the thing. He had false teeth, didn't he? So it could have been, but he, yeah. he could have been. It could have been a different guy. Someone else, yeah. yeah. Uh, Billy Redden, who is the boy with the banjo, can't play the banjo. Um, oh. He did not know how to play it. Uh, to simulate realistic chord playing during the dueling banjo scene, another boy who was a skilled banjo player played the chords with his arm around Redden's side whilst Redden was oh. picking. Wow. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the, Billy Redden can't actually, well, at least at the time, couldn't do That's cool. the dueling banjos thing, but you couldn't tell. No, I had no Not idea. at all. I absolutely thought that was him. That's so cool. Mm. And uh, the musicians Eric Weisberg and Steve Mandel actually played it on the soundtrack. So right. Good job, guys. Yeah, credit to those guys. Well done. I Eric. think the music is fantastic in mm. this mm. as well. Mm. Yeah. Very Maybe just the one scene where he's falling down the falling down the cliff with mm. the the banjo is a little bit too much. Yeah. But I think I don't know, I kinda liked it. It but I think where it comes in and out. 
May may just be because banjo music has become quite a comical, you know, if there's a comical mm. scene now in films. You'll have banjo music for a chase. Yeah, like for like a... Yeah. yeah, so yeah. maybe that's why. But where it comes in and out of the movie is really beautiful and just plays up the scene, plays up the, the river sounds and the birds and the... The wildlife. It's amazing, as well. but it's also like not only is it comical now, but, but again, because of this film, I think, I don't think I'm wrong in saying so, we've also associated it with um, danger. Mm. You know? So, you know, that down, 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 like yeah. that mm. slow kind of plucking mm. rhythm yeah. has now become in, you know, in, it's, it's synonymous with there's danger out there, especially in a foresty. Yeah. Everyone knows what you mean when you go, you know. Yeah. Like, That's true. Yeah. So, so there's that as well. It's, it's brilliant the way they've used what is actually quite, I think, quite beautiful music. Like, mm. I actually really like the banjo, but they've made it into, they've used it so cleverly to make it so terrifying. Yeah. You know, but again, using it when they are in danger. Yeah. So you get that little Pavlovian response of like, ooh, there's banjos, something's going on. Yeah. You know, so, so smart. Yeah. Uh, Billy Redden, uh, the boy with the banjo, uh, actually really liked Ronnie Cox, uh, okay. but hated Ned Beatty. Um, at the end of the dueling banjo scene, the script called for Billy to harden his expression towards Cox's character, but he couldn't pretend to hate Cox. So to solve the problem, they had um, BT step towards Billy at the end of the shot, and that's why he hardens his expression and turns away. That's I don't know why he hated so Ned Beatty, but he just he just did. That's incredible. Uh, unlike fatties. <laughs> Um, I'm not going to speak for Billy Redden in that respect, but could be. Um, one of the actors who turned down uh, a role in this film was Donald Sutherland. I can see that. He was uh, originally offered the role of Ed. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah, turned it down because he, object- he objected to the violence. Although right. he later said he regretted the decision because yeah. the film was amazing. Donald Sutherland's a bit of a weirdo. He, okay. But he was making... <laughs> Well, did he make Don't Look Now around that time as well? Though, so he was he was busy. Like he, he was. I he, mean, he was. Doing he's made some thing. violent yeah. films. Yeah, he's done fine. <laughs> but he's done yeah. fine. Yeah, like yeah. don't worry about Donald Sutherland. But like, it's, that's that's a bit of a weird excuse. Yeah. I think. Um, I think. He just did, I think. I, I think he just didn't want to go go out bush for a whole shoot. Probably. Mm. But that's what I mean. Mate, at the time, like, I still this film. It, it makes I'm amazed at how traumatizing it is for people of my mother's era. Yeah, the people she would have been at this stage in her twenties watching this film, and it terrifies her. And I think it might be that lulled you get and so comfortable and so happy, and then all of a sudden, and probably having never seen anything like it before, either. Yeah. Probably too, but there, but there's lots of films. That's why I keep them sitting here trawling through and looking at things like um, Straw Dogs and mm. um, and Hills Have Eyes and things like that, because there are. It was a time when these films were being made, but Straw Dogs got banned straight away mm. um, when it was made, so it probably wouldn't have been seen in America. So this film has obviously had an impact because it's even though with its it would have had probably an X rating, mm. it snuck in to the commercial market. Mm. So it's been enough to really upset people. Mm. Yeah. 
I, I guess it's maybe because the this is sort of cited as one of the first films of its type that was ended up being commercially and critically successful. But mm. you have to say that the market around it and the market for films that people of your mother's generation were probably going to. So she would have been born in the after World she's War Two. Born in forty nine. Yeah, yeah. So she's yeah, you know, classic sort of baby boomer time period. Um, and they go through the 50s and the 60s, which hardly have the most like gritty, big cinematic films. You know, the, mm. the scariest thing is is Hitchcock with a bottle of chocolate syrup. That that's sort of mm. that's sort of what mm. scary things are. And then as you move into the 1970s, and we start to get these sorts of films, where I think the fear of Deliverance is that not only is it scary, it's it's it could happen. Yeah, you could find yourself on what seems like an innocent canoeing holiday suddenly having a shotgun thrown in your face. I think that's <laughs> where that, I talked about before, that Play Misty for Me film disturbed her as well because it's, it's about a radio, a, a guy on the radio who gets a stalker who insists on him playing this song for her and she sees this song as his love story to her and it becomes a movie about obsession and about fear, like that, mm. that kind of... It's it's the insidiousness of it that yeah. maybe maybe they, I guess that you're right that they may never have seen before where yeah. it's about evoking emotion not just shocking and you know scaring people with a dude in a mask dressed yeah. as a werewolf or yeah. you know or that's or or Dracula or something yeah. like that. So. Yeah, if the, if the monster is something which is presented to you as something that exists, people that live in like rural hill areas. Mm. Uh, and the you know the means that they they perform their acts are basically just violence and intimidation. That's that's it. That's all stuff that's very real. And I think that because the film is shot so realistic, that might be why it really struck a chord. Yeah, um, I agree with that. that. That would just be a guess, anyway. No, I think you're absolutely I think right. right. Mm. I think you're right. Um, some of the other actors who were potentially thought about or approached: um, Lee Marvin for ah. the role of Ed. Oh, yeah. Been well, too old. Well, that's just it. Marlon Brando was one that was considered for um, Lewis, the one that um, Burt Reynolds ended up playing. But after reading the script, Marvin said uh, that he and Brando were too old um, yeah. and yeah. suggested to Borman, the director, that they use younger actors. And so that's why he then went and ended up casting Voight and Reynolds. Right. Because, right. yeah, well, Borman originally wanted to work with more well-established actors. Right. Um I mean, just just the idea of like Lee Marvin trying to climb up and down that yeah, cliff. Nah. I, I like Lee Marvin. Yeah, but, but that's not. It's not uh, what he's not going to be able uh, to do. Uh, that. <laughs> exactly. They yeah. would have. I'm going to the wrong man. Wrong <laughs> Brando. No. Tiffany's done. the Marvin people. Where's the Drew? Where's the Hey, Drew. Sorry. Um, one of the other actors that was uh, considered, uh, Charlton Heston, for the role of Lewis. Who are they? He turned it down because he was doing Anthony and Cleopatra. Yeah. Um, How old would have he been? He would have been quite old as well, wouldn't he? Charlton Heston? He this would have, his 40s. This would have only been okay. like five years after Planet of the Apes. So. Right, okay. So, no, I mean, that's understandable, I guess. Oh, I hate all of those. I'm glad they're all not in it. Well, thank goodness for Burt Reynolds then. Yeah. Where's the law, Drew? Where's the law? Except <laughs> <laughs> he would have insisted on having a gun, I think. That would have... Yeah. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. He would have had to have had a gun. He would have shot the deer. Yeah. 
He would have shot it after uh, John yeah. Voight didn't shoot it with the arrow. <laughs> yeah. And then just smoked a cigar and gone, I love America. <laughs> <laughs> Start a forest. From right. my cold, dead hand. Yeah. <laughs> the author, James Dickey, who had a cameo in this film as the sheriff, <laughs> and was pretty good. I knew um, you'd laugh at that. Oh, that his name is James Dickey? <laughs> well, Mr. Dickey. Um, <laughs> Old Jimmy Dickey. Yeah. <laughs> Old Jim Dick. Yeah. Um, he played the sheriff and did a pretty good job. He was great. I thought his performance was excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Was Dickey st- gave a great performance. Yeah. Mr. Dickey, you're due on set in five. <laughs> <laughs> Paging Mr. Dickey. Um, he gave Burt Reynolds a few days of lessons in how to fire a bow and arrow. Oh. Because... Uh, Burt Reynolds couldn't do it And by the end of the film Reynolds was pretty proficient It's oh. really hard Yeah So Burt Reynolds got taught A lesson or two by Dickie Yeah I, to, sh- to, sh- to shoot straight <laughs> Yeah <laughs> Oh dear Oh uh, another actor That you would have hated uh, Jack Nicholson Was mm. potentially going to be Ed But he would only do it If Marlon Brando would do it Yeah uh, Oh god so. He probably would have been fine, but he would have been just, right. it would he have, might been, have a, been a bit too crazy. I don't it, know though. if I would yeah. have believed him. Not no, I wouldn't have believed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I feel like Jack Nicholson could kill something if he had to. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't think I'd enjoy him. Wrong role for him. Yeah. Um, during the filming of the canoe scene, James Dickey showed up inebriated and got into an argument with the director John Borman because he had rewritten Dickey's script. Uh, they had a brief fist fight in which Borman's nose was broken and four of his teeth were shattered. Dickie was then thrown off set, but no charges were filed against him. The two reconciled and became good friends. Uh, and ultimately, by the end of the film, Borman gave him the the cameo um, as the sheriff because the film was shot in sequence as well. Oh. So, it would have had to be, though, wouldn't it? Cause yeah. It- because yeah. of the way it was. Where, the, where the rapids were and stuff. Was... Yeah, but I just love the fact that they got into a fist fight because the author turned up drunk and then <laughs> they ended up re- reconciling and becoming friends. If any film that's going to happen, it's going to be this one where there's no insurance, all the actors are doing their own stunts. Yeah. Mm. And, and now there's, there's whiskey, there's whiskey dicky on set. <laughs> whiskey dicky, dicky whiskey. This guy's being a total dicky head. <laughs> just turned up and beat, beat me up. <laughs> um, but wow. yeah, ultimately... Final thoughts on Deliverance. Patrick, it was your first time watching it. Yep. Can you sum up your, your uh, opinion of Deliverance? Um, great. Confronting. Um, can, under- can see why it's such an important film. Um, yeah, really, really highly... I was going to say highly recommended. What does it mean coming from me? Everyone knows this is a great movie. Yeah. I, I highly recommend it. Oh, now some nobody. Um, you're not some nobody. You are. You are Patrick. Dennis. But um, but no, it's 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 great. It's a it's a mm. obviously a classic movie and deservedly so. Mm. And Tegan, first time watching it in a few years, mm. clearly it still holds up for you. Yeah, I think so. I don't think it's dated at all. Um, in what it stands for. Um, I think if anything, we're back in, you know, the, that the, that idea of four men going out bush to find themselves, yeah, um, which is what's at the heart of it, is still very identifiable for the majority of you know. I, cause I think I, I think I see those guys as like people in the corporate world that I tend to work around, you mm. know. Even though I'm working, weekend warrior types. Yes, yeah, yeah. The, the the triathlon on the weekend types. Yeah. Like I, 
work for a charity, but of course the charity is involved with a bunch of corporate and they all work in recruitment and they work in mm. accounting and they work in, and you, you see the competitiveness in them and you can see them doing this sort of stuff together. Not necessarily killing rednecks, but, yeah. but like wanting to do, wanting to cha- challenge themselves and each other. And mm. um, so I, for me, like the brutality of it, I knew about so that that didn't fascinate me as much this time. It was really interesting to watch, but I it was watching those characters and the way they've again there's a, the subtlety of the character development to films from the late sixties, early seventies. Mm. I just fucking love it. It Excellent. just it makes me so so intrigued mm. by watching these films so it floods yeah. your narrative basement it really does mm. right up to the mezzanine <laughs> okay well uh, get mezzanine deep <laughs> yeah well with that being the case let's score the film patrick you are our uh, i haven't seen it guest so yep. you get to go first what are you giving deliverance out of 10 um I feel like I can't give it less than 10 seeing as I gave the pirates 10 last time. <laughs> but, but having said that, I, yeah, I, I, I mean, look, uh, nine, 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 nine arrow, arrow speared fish mm. out of 10, nine and a half even. It's great. It's, mm. it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Tegan, what would you give it? I'm going to give it uh, eight and a half, but Reynold biceps out of 10. Mm. She's twirling her hair as she discusses. I know, I know. Like, I'm thankful he's dead because otherwise I'd have. Well, not uh, 82 year old (laughs) Burt Reynolds biceps. I guess. Yeah. 36 year old Burt Reynolds biceps. (laughs) Just be glad he hasn't got that time machine. And um, (laughs) for me, I. I think this is a great film, but obviously I don't think I can say that I enjoyed it. I, d- I don't think I, I It's sat not there. an enjoyable, yeah. yeah. It didn't come out of there going, mm, boy, you know, I need something uplifting. Let's watch Deliverance. But it is a clearly excellent film. Mm. Um, it is it is very, very well put together. And again, it's one of those films where I feel as though if it's, if it's a film that you don't feel can really be improved upon in many ways, then they've done a really good job. Yeah. And um, think of the films we wouldn't have had this film not been made mm. as well. I think that's important to think about as well. Yeah, with these it, it's had an impact. And like, the, yeah. like that film is almost 50 years old and doesn't look it. No, it, it, is, it just blows my mind. Remarkable. So yeah. I, I would probably have to give it, um, I'm, oh, I'm probably going to give it eight and a half as well. I'm going to give it eight and a half, um, author, director, punch ups. <laughs> Jimmy Dickey's out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, eight and a half. Eight and a half dicky punches. Yeah, eight and a half <laughs> out of ten. Uh, yes. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, Tegan and Patrick, thank you very much for joining me to watch Deliverance. <laughs> You're welcome. Yes. Um, if you want to find us on Facebook, uh, you can find us there by searching for the Cinema Catch Up Club podcast. We're also available on iTunes or SoundCloud to download. And then, of course, there is also uh, our Patreon. Just go to patreon.com forward slash CCUC podcast and you can become an official member of the club. Uh, but that's all for this week. Do it. So- do the pi- Patreon. Yeah, do it. Do it. Then do it. Stephen can afford Stan and Netflix and I and PlayStation stuff and won't have to buy the DVDs every time. Yeah, yeah, that would be much appreciated, guys. Uh, but that's all. So until next time. Do it. Goodbye. 
And now as promised, a preview clip from episode one of the science fiction radio play series, Atlantis. Floor 34, Ponderlatz Laboratory. Visitors are reminded that Atlantis labs are not responsible for any injuries sustained of a physical, mental, or spiritual nature during your visit. Well, that's comforting. Hello? Nothing to worry about, Dorothy. A quiet corridor doesn't mean these crazy scientists opened up a, a portal to some godforsaken place and unleashed who knows what on the base. They're probably all studying. Yeah, studying. That's what scientists do. They're just professional nerds. Nerds with qualifications. There's nothing at all down here. Pardon to... this intrusion. <laughs> you appear to have discharged your firearm into my face. That wasn't very nice. <laughs> so you have to run! There's a monster of some kind in the corridor! We have to evacuate! Oh no, don't tell me the doc didn't lock the cage properly. What? I keep telling her that she needs to push against the door when she closes that latch. So we have to leave now! What did it look like? Blue and furry? Or turquoise and wavy? Uh, it was orange and bulgy. Orange and bulgy? It's coming. Get to the evacuation chutes and warn Chief Castain we have an unknown creature on the loose. Wait. Don't mean lug, do you? Lug. Senior technician, this person just shot me in the face and then ran away. I am confused as to their intentions. Is this your monster? Yes. What is it? It's okay. They're friendly. Well, normally anyway. I've never shot lug in the face before. If you enjoyed the clip from episode 1 of Atlantis that you have just heard, you can hear the entire thing over at www.atlantisradioplay.com. You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.